Good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Thanks for coming on this Memorial Day. We should just take a minute and say thank you to those of you who have served our country faithfully, or maybe you're a relative of someone who gave their life uh, in service of our country. Uh, it's, um, we stand and worship together um, and have freedom to do that because of uh, their service. And so we're thankful uh, if that's you or someone that you're related to. Um, and we do, we do just give praise to God uh, for that. Uh, as we get into this passage, this is a huge moment in the life of the church. And so we're going to look at it a couple of different ways. Uh, kids, a couple of things for you to listen to. Just the, the meaning of the word Pentecost um, that can be a tricky one. So the meaning of the word Pentecost. And the second thing uh, is actually three things. I'm cheating a little bit. Um, there are three things, three phenomena that happen in this passage, uh, that God shows up in three different ways. And so I want you to figure out what those three things are. And then lastly, we'll talk uh, for a minute about the Tower of Babel uh, back in Genesis, which is in your, uh, in your bulletin as well. Um, grown-ups, we're looking at um, power, the Holy Spirit power. It's coming down, it's coming in, and it's going out. And so that's, uh, that's where we're headed, if you'll pray with me. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. Uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We thank you for this um, huge moment in the life of the church that we celebrate today. We thank you for the coming of your spirit. Would you work by that same spirit to make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us, that our hope and our trust and our confidence in him would grow. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this power comes down. The disciples are together. We're not exactly sure where. It could be an upper room somewhere like they uh, used to meet uh, Jesus in. It uh, could even be, some scholars think, maybe they were in one of the rooms of the temple at this point, meeting together, um, praying. Jesus had told them before his ascension to wait together in Jerusalem that he would send a helper. He would send himself in the form of the Spirit to them and that they were to wait. And so they were waiting. Uh, Jesus' promise to them in Acts 1-8 is this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we get this, this sense of um, there's going to be this movement. The church is going to move in these concentric circles, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the disciples are in this moment of waiting. They're all together in one place, and suddenly the power comes down. And it is a mighty rushing wind. Now, you can imagine uh, in your mind's eye what this might have been like. Um, could have felt like a tornado. It could have, whatever it was, it was uh, massive and uh, surprising. It fills the entire house where they were sitting. And they would have known, right, as good first century Jews, they would have known a lot of the Old Testament. Each of these 
um, phenomena that happen are tied back to the Old Testament. Remember, this is a huge moment in the life of the church, and so uh, there is this looking back that happens. This wind would have been one of the ways that God would have represented himself to his people all along. You can go all the way back even to creation. Genesis 1 talks about how the spirit hovered, the pneuma, the wind hovered over this chaos, right? And God spoke, Jesus spoke creation into existence. So there was this picture that they would have known immediately that God had shown up. And what, what does that wind do? Well, in creation, that wind, that spirit that was hovering over the earth would have brought order and unity. And so we see even here, uh, as these people come together, we know later in this account, many people are going to come. Peter's going to preach the second half of Acts. Peter's going to preach this sermon and 3,000 people are going to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, it is bringing order. It's bringing sense. It's making, making sense of the world to, to, these, to these disciples. It's also bringing unity. They're going to uh, experience the same thing uh, together. And then the message that they're going he- to speak is the same message. And so it's important for, for us to see that God is bringing order and unity even amongst all of these different people groups. The message is the same. The cultures from all over the place are hearing the gospel as God comes to his people, as the power comes down. The power also comes in, verse 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't just come to the room as the wind, but it also shows up as fire. And any good first century Jew would know that God often represented himself in fire as well. If you remember the story of Abraham, when God makes the covenant with Abram in Genesis 12, he shows up as this uh, pot and the fire this, um, when they walked through and made this covenant. The people of Israel in the wilderness were led at night by this pillar of fire. God was with his people and it was represented by fire. You think of uh, Moses even in his calling. Uh, Moses saw the burning bush, right? This bush in the wilderness that, that wasn't consumed and represented God. And so here, Eat this, these tongues of fire rest on each person in the room. And it's a picture, so we go back and think about the Old Testament, it's a picture of the tabernacle, of God dwelling with his people. God promised to be with his people. He says in Genesis 12, I will be your God and you'll be my people and I will be with you. And then the Israelites build this tabernacle Uh, this portable temple, and God's presence comes and dwells with them in the midst of the people. All the tribes camped around the outside of this temple, this portable temple called the tabernacle. And then Jesus comes. Fast forward, John tells us that 
Jesus, the word, became flesh and tabernacled among us. And now that Jesus has lived his life for us, he's been raised to new life, he's ascended to heaven, we enter this new phase of God dwelling with his people and it's no longer in flesh, right? Jesus has risen bodily to to heaven. So he's not dwelling with us in in bodily form, but the spirit dwells in us. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that our bodies now are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this picture in Pentecost of the disciples receiving the spirit, their bodies becoming temples of the spirit. God doesn't dwell near you anymore. He dwells in you. can't get any closer than that. The spirit dwells in us and works in us. What is the work of the spirit in us? J.I. Packer has this beautiful illustration of a floodlight. Maybe uh, you've heard this before, but the, the floodlight, right? If you, if I'm not a lighting person, if maybe you are, um, you, you know this, the, the, a light, right? At, on a house, let's say you're trying to um, light up your Christmas decorations on the outside of your house, uh, what you don't want people to notice is the light, right? You don't want people to notice that you put a light in your front yard. What does the light do? It's supposed to draw your attention to the decorations that make your house so lovely, right? And that's exactly what the Spirit's job is. He dwells in us, Our bodies are his temple, and his job is to make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us. We pray that often here at Trinity, and why do we do that? Well, we're asking the Spirit to take what Jesus has done for us and make it real to us, to make it uh, experientially true for us. Uh, there's a great story, you can find it, it's from uh, years ago, but um, college game day, they do the um, preview, all of the Saturday football games, and they, there's always one tearjerker sort of story, right? Um, there's usually like nine, but there's uh, at least one uh, sort of tearjerker story, and they did a profile of Mark Richt, who used to be the head coach at Georgia. Um, they have a couple, he and his wife have a couple of children, and they Um, adopted a few kids from Ukraine, a brother and sister from Ukraine. And uh, the daughter had some uh, facial deformities. There were a few other things going on that um, Mark and his wife immediately fell in love with these two kids and brought them home. And um, they told the story of uh, their daughter. She would sit in the stands uh, during every practice and um, <clears throat> they would all huddle up, all the team would huddle up at the end of practice. Mark would say a few things, uh, and practice would end, they'd blow the final whistle. And she would take off down the bleachers, uh, run to Mark. He would grab her, give her this huge hug. The team is all around. It's this beautiful moment. She's, she, she's loved and accepted, and all of these things. It's just beautiful. And for our purposes, uh, was she any more Mark's daughter on the field than she was in the stands? No, she had been legally adopted. She was every bit his daughter sitting in the stands. 
What's the difference when she is on the field and she is wrapped in his arms and he's tossing her in the air and the team is around, all of these, she is experiencing her daughterhood, her, her daughtership, right, of Mark. She is experiencing in this beautiful way what's already true of her and would be true had she never come down onto the field, right? Now, what does that have to do with the Spirit? That is the Spirit floodlighting Jesus for us. It is giving us that sort of experiential presence of Jesus in our lives, applying his work for us, helping us to remember that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't, that he died in our place, that he was raised to new life for us, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, in our hearts, by the Spirit. And we have this experiential day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience of Jesus because the Spirit is dwelling in our hearts. Some of you may be thinking, that, that is not me. <laughs> that experiential presence of Jesus, I don't feel that. Or I don't feel it all the time. Maybe I do every once in a while, but that is not my experience. Um, welcome. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that too sometimes. Um, I think we all, if we're honest in our moments, there, there are times where we feel distant where sin or circumstance or um, a lesson that we're, we're being taught may lead us to feel this distance. Now it's legally true, if your faith is in Jesus, you are his son or daughter, adopted. You have all the rights and privileges of a son of God. It may be that your experience of that is difficult at the moment. And so it's helpful to pray and ask God, what's going on here? Is there something I'm supposed to be learning? Is the Spirit teaching me? Maybe revealing areas of sin that I need to repent of. Maybe uh, discipline, like a father disciplines a son. Um, Maybe there are moments of uh, challenge, difficulty, things that we experience um, that, that we are to go through seasons of life like that. Uh, and then we remind ourselves, we, we, we pray and ask the Spirit to work. Um, th- this doesn't always work for me, but I think it works often enough. Um, I heard a, a, an older saint once say, sometimes you have to pray until you pray. What does that mean? Sometimes we use the form. One of the things I love about the Daily Prayer Project uh, is that it gives you a form to pray. There are mornings where I wake up and I'm like, oh, I should do that, or I you know, get to the office and wanna get ready and read and pray some, and I'm just not feeling it. And where I need to pray until my heart sort of engages, right? You turn the, turn the ignition and it sputters. You turn the ignition, you keep, tur- right? And eventually it catches. Well, that can happen in our prayer life too. Sometimes the spirit works that way. Last reminder here is that sometimes all you need is to feel your need of Jesus, 
and the spirit can lead you into feeling your needs so that you cry out to him. The spirit dwells in us. He is at work in our hearts. And sometimes when we don't feel it, we believe it until we know it to be true. Would I, would I, would I know these realities of the spirit and of Jesus and would they be more true to me than what I feel? Sometimes we have to pray that way and the spirit meets us in those prayers. And so I would encourage you not to give up. Now, is, it, is this passage prescriptive? We're about to talk about speaking in tongues. So I just wanna give you one sort of theological uh, category that you can use. There is a difference in the Bible between stories that are descriptive and stories in the Bible that are prescriptive. Okay, do you hear the difference? Descriptive tells us what happens, right? It's David and Goliath. Is David and Goliath gonna be your story? Probably not, right? The chances of you meeting the Philistines in a valley, um, pretty rare, right? But the Lord gives us stories of the, the Lord's Supper and says, do this until I come back. Right? That is prescriptive. You and your household, you and your children be baptized. That's prescriptive, right? So what is this passage, Acts 2? It's a little of both, if I'm being honest. The, the, the prescriptive part, the thing that we learn that is common to f- everyone's experience who puts their faith in Jesus, is that the Spirit fills us. Right? Everyone's filled. Peter's um, sermon, you can read the whole thing, but just that first part talks about everyone being filled with the spirits, even the servant, male servants and female servants. Everyone is filled with the Spirit. Is it prescriptive that you speak in tongues, that there is some language that you need to, ma- right? You're gonna speak Urdu and you've, nev- you've never seen it before, but you're gonna be proficient in Urdu or some like secret private prayer language thing that nobody understands, but, but you pray in that way. That is not prescriptive. God is doing something major in this moment. In the same way that Jesus, when he did his miracles, his miracles would attest to his power as the son of God, right? Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven, but so that you would know that your sins are forgiven, get up and walk, right? The the physical healing shows that he also does the spiritual healing. In the same way, in this moment, the disciples are undoing, right? The spirit is working through the disciples to undo the Tower of Babel. And so there is this incredible moment that happens where these Galileans, they're like backwater fishermen, right? Are suddenly speaking in all of these languages. And it is, it is a moment that attests to the power of the spirit. The spirit is really here and really working because these backwater fishermen are speaking all of these sophisticated languages without any training. It's incredible. And so we don't think that this continues, right? These miracles, things like this happen in this season where Jesus is present 
where the scriptures are being written and then those things have uh, ceased. We don't need the language stuff because we have God's word. We have access to his written, completed, finished word to us that stands over and above us. And so we can trust in his word for us today. So what's happening in this moment with the languages is descriptive, but it's incredible. It's amazing. They began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And so it draws this huge crowd. We see people from every tribe and tongue and nation. They would have all gathered already because of the feast of Pentecost, um, which was 50 days right after Passover, uh, would have been the, the feast of the first fruits, right? The harvest would have started to come in. And so um, people, it, Jews would have brought those first fruits and celebrated God's provision of the harvest. So they were all together in Jerusalem already, everyone from all of these other uh, nations and languages. And uh, they come together and they can hear in their own language the mighty works of God. It's amazing. They were amazed and astonished. How can we hear in our own language? They're all telling, verse 11, in, their, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. Now, there are a couple of things uh, happening here. We, we, we've already mentioned the Tower of Babel. Um, if you wanna go back even a little bit further and just get sort of a biblical theology of what's happening here, God the Father, the Son and the Spirit are dwelling together before the creation of the world in perfect unity and harmony. They are enjoying each other so much. Jonathan Edwards says it's like a cup overflowing. The joy and the fellowship and the love between the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was so much that the, the water just sort of came out of the bounds of the cup in creation. The only thing that would have made this love and fellowship and uh, joy that the Trinity shared better was if other, other folks shared it as well. And so that leads to the creation of the world. And the point of the creation of the world is that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. In the way that Adam and Eve had this special relationship with God, that was the intention that they would have babies and those babies would have babies and then more babies and then the world would fill up with these God worshipers who would proclaim God's glory to the whole world. We know that they failed to do that. They chose not to listen, to obey. Sin enters the world. And so that leads us to Genesis 11, where the Tower of Babel happens, where the people gather and they say, instead of making God's name great, right? Spreading God's glory throughout the whole earth, let's come together, let's build this city. We're gonna build a tower and it's gonna be a proclamation of how awesome we are, how great we are. We're gonna make our name great. So God comes down and he scatters them. The way that they were supposed to be scattered, right? They were supposed to fill the whole earth, but God this time sends them out with different languages. He confuses them. So it brings this separation. There's this disunity that enters into the world because of the sin of those people. In this moment, 
Jesus has come, lived the life that we couldn't, died, was raised to new life for us, ascends to heaven, says, I'm sending my helper. The Spirit is going to come. The Spirit comes down in this wind and fire, in the tongues, right? All of these people are preaching the gospel. They're telling the mighty works of Jesus to the world, and everyone can understand it. The Spirit is rolling back what happened in Babel. And it's going to, how is it going to happen? It's going to happen when these people who are gathered for Pentecost in Jerusalem hear the gospel in their own language. Thousands are going to come to know Jesus. They're going to go home, right, into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel is going out. One message of the mighty works of Jesus going out into the world with this Holy Spirit power. They're telling the mighty works of God. Now some, some thought they were drunk, right? Verse 13. Others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And so Peter, Peter addresses that and says, it may be easy to confuse what's happening here. Right? This is a new kind of joy that they haven't experienced before. But it's 9 a.m., no one's, been, no one's been drinking, right? This is what was prophesied in the book of Joel. And so you see this long passage in 17 to 21 about God bringing the Spirit, pouring the Spirit out on all flesh, showing his wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter goes on to preach and day by day, the Lord is adding to their number those who are saved. Now, we've seen the power come down in the wind, the power go in by the fire, right? The temple, we've seen the, the spirit go out, the power go out in speaking the mighty works of God. Now, what, let me just draw one point of application here as we finish. What does this mean for us? Oh, gosh, there are a hundred things. Uh, again, I'm going to limit it to, to, to just one. You, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the same spirit at work in this moment is at work in you right now. What's the spirit doing in you? He's sending you out to proclaim the mighty works of God. I would um, recommend and draw to your attention uh, a, a podcast uh, by Colin Hansen. Um, Colin Hansen works for the Gospel Coalition. Uh, he just wrote a book on Tim Keller, um, his influences, and um, the book's amazing. Uh, I highly recommend the book. Uh, it's really good. Um, the podcast is called Gospel Bound. And in it, uh, one of the episodes, he speaks to a historian, a, a religious historian professor at UNC named Molly Worthen. And um, she is, it's an incredible story. Um, it gets really good in like the 30 or 40th minute. Um, it's interesting, the first part, but she really gets to a place where um, she started attending a church in Chapel Hill um, to, as sort of uh, research to kind of figure out what was happening. 
uh, in the church, in evangelicalism, she writes a lot of um, articles about evangelicalism and all of that. And um, she starts to build this relationship with uh, her pastor uh, at this church, um, who was the former president of the uh, SBC. And um, he gets her in touch with Tim Keller. So she starts this like email uh, correspondence with Tim Keller about all of these huge questions that she has. And in this podcast, she's telling this story and she basically says, I don't have all of this figured out yet. I mean, she's brilliant, brilliant. She says, I'm sort of fumbling my way through this, but I know that I was blind and now I see. I know that Jesus really lived and that he really died, and if he really rose from the dead, which I believe he did, my whole life has to change. Everything about who I am, everything I've held true, I've gotta put underneath the fact that Jesus really did these things, that the resurrection actually happened. She's like, I can't answer my colleagues sufficiently when they wanna talk about gender theology or they wanna talk about the creation of the world or all of these different topics, but I know if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. That's the spirit at work sending her out. Now, you don't have to be a brilliant, tenured academic for the spirit to work in you. But you all, if you have put your trust in Jesus, can say, I was blind and now I can see. You can proclaim, even as a child, what it means that Jesus really rose from the dead. And so go, do it. What's our prayer? Our hope is that the gospel would go to all of our neighborhoods, to all of our workplaces, to all of Fort Worth, to our new neighborhood where we're about to be, um, that we, we would take the gospel into all of those places. And sure, there are lots of questions, people have lots of doubts, there are all sorts of things that could come up that might trip you up, but if the resurrection really happened and the spirit is at work in your heart, that's what you need, that's what's central. I know that he lived for me that he died and rose again. And because the spirit is at work in me, I can go and tell these stories just like these disciples did. And so that's our prayer, that God would take our stories and that he would weave them into his story that he is weaving as the church works in the world to bring the kingdom to bear that we would be witnesses just like these guys were witnesses. We would be witnesses to all that Jesus has done. Historically, sure, but even in us, the ways that we've changed. And so there may be one person that you think of, even in this moment, that you might ought to share the gospel with. Would you start to pray for that? Start to pray for that person that you'd have an opportunity to share the gospel. If you're here today, maybe this is your first time here and you're not sure about Jesus, come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you more about how Jesus has worked in our hearts, in our lives, how the spirit is at work, making Jesus more beautiful and believable to us. And with that, let me, let me pray for us that, that God would make that true by his spirit. Lord God, you are good, you're kind, you love us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. 
Lord, it's so comforting that these unsophisticated disciples became mouthpieces for the gospel. So Lord, would you do that in us? Would you help us to take our story and to share it, to see the gospel transform the lives of our friends, our classmates, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family, to transform our city. Father, would you do that work? Use your spirit to make Jesus great, to glorify him in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.